If you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just, I say this every week, but it doesn't matter. Like if Sunridge is your home, if you're brand new here, you are welcome here because, you know, everybody's welcome at Sunridge because nobody's perfect and anything's possible with Jesus. So thank you so much for being here. Um, we are starting a new series today uh, called Thanks. And so today it's a two-parter. I can't imagine why I'd be talking about thankfulness this time of year, but um, anyway, you might be able to connect that. And I, I'm hoping that over these next two weeks, what we talk about will give you an extra special uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, today I want to talk about how we can cultivate thankfulness in our own hearts. And um, next week I want to talk about how uh, we can contribute to making the world a more thankful place by what we do. So I want to start, though, by asking you a question. Do you think, in general, that you're a thankful person? Um, so let me ask that another way. Are you a joyful person? Are you a joyful person? Because psychologists say that these two things are connected, thankfulness and joy. In fact, I've read so many studies uh, in preparing for this series, and uh, here are, here's one. There are actually scientific benefits. There's been scientifically proven the benefits of being thankful. If you're thankful, uh, you're likely to have meaningful and lasting relationships and more of them because as a thankful person, you're going to be someone that other people want to be around. If you're thankful, you're going to be healthier. You know, if they've proven that if you're thankful, you have less aches and pains and you're going to be more likely to exercise. If you're thankful, you'll have improved mental health because you're gonna, if you're thankful, you're going to have less envy, less jealousy, less comparison, less regrets in your life. If you're thankful, you, you're going to be more kind because as a thankful person, you're going to be able to empathize with others. And uh, that empathy, that vibe that comes off of you being thankful, you know, that's gonna, you're going to be more pro-socially interactive is the way they put it. If you're thankful, you'll sleep better. You got trouble sleeping? Studies have proven that if you spend a few moments before you go to sleep writing down, actually writing down things that you're thankful for, that you're likely to sleep better. If you're thankful, you'll have improved self-esteem. You'll feel better about yourself because you're not, you're not thinking constantly about the things that are dragging you down. And then lastly, if you're, if you're thankful, you're going to be resilient. Studies have proven that people uh, who can reframe their circumstances, even if they've been tragic or traumatic, if you're a thankful person, you tend to like look at things, not through all the negative, not look at all the negative things that happen, but you can find something good in your situation and you're able to move forward. You know, as Christians, thankfulness is really connected to our awareness of the ongoing work of God in our hearts. And in Luke's gospel, you, you know, I know you know the name Luke, but Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul and a co-worker. Uh, he wrote this gospel, Luke. He also wrote Acts. And in his gospel, he records an incident that really puts an exclamation point on the need for being thankful. And we're going to read that today in Luke 17, 11. Luke records that as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee 
in Samaria, and as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God, I'm healed. And he fell down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, the story centers on the dreaded disease of leprosy, also uh, Hansen's disease. And uh, by some accounts, it's the oldest recorded disease in history. And, you know, it was dreaded then because of the hideous effects, the horrific marring of human bodies. Uh, it just created even more fear in people's hearts. And who hasn't seen images of the clawed hands and missing fingers or toes or even blind eyes that are caused by leprosy? And at this time, they had no idea how it spread. But to have it meant that you were isolated, you were cursed, and it was a slow and lonely death. And it wasn't until this man, Dr. Paul Brand, uh, came along and he dedicated his entire life to the work of understanding leprosy. Dr. Brand, interestingly, was born to Christian missionary parents in India. But then he was educated in the UK as a surgeon. And he honed his surgical skills in World War II. And following World War II, he went back to India. And he pioneered our understanding of leprosy and how to treat it. In fact, many of his procedures that he created in, in repairing the damage from leprosy are still used in, in repairing damaged limbs uh, from diabetes. But what Dr. Brand discovered that we all know today is that leprosy is not a flesh-eating disease like they thought at that time, but it's really a nerve-damaging disease. In fact, you want to read a great book. It's a collaboration between Philip Yancey and Dr. Brand. It's called The Gift of Pain. And so you, you'll hear the story of Dr. Brand, but then also Philip Yancey brings kind of this spiritual realm to it about how pain is an essential part of life and how it benefits us. And this is true even of physical leprosy because leprosy, the damage caused by it, is uh, their secondary results. The bacilli that are involved with leprosy, uh, it causes nerve damage. And so, uh, People who have it, they lose sensitivity in their limbs. And so without feeling, uh, without pain, you're unaware when you've injured yourself. And so if you have leprosy, you could get a splinter in your foot and not know it. And any of us who got a splinter would be like, ow, you know, and it, we would give it the attention that it needs. But if you have leprosy, you don't even know. And then then you get, it gets infected. And that, these are the, that's, that's what is causes all the hideous things that happen with leprosy. And it's true of your eyes, too. You know, you don't even think about when you blink, but there's kind of a pain associated with not blinking. 
when your eyes get dry, you don't even think about it, but your body reacts and it makes you blink so that you moisturize your eyes. That doesn't happen in leprosy. The, uh, the, the nerves have been damaged in the eyeball, and so people stop blinking, their eye dries out, and they, 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 they become blind from it. Because of this, people didn't know, and because people were so fearful of, and it was so hideous, those that had the disease, lepers became outcasts. They were isolated, and obviously because society wanted to quarantine them. And so you had these leper colonies that would develop. And that isolation only added to their illness. They not only had a physical illness, but because of the isolation and the rejection, um, they, they experienced emotional illness and trauma and certainly spiritual because they were, they were told and they believed that they were cursed by God because they had this disease. And so a leper would be like, they would just have no hope. They would have nothing, no self-esteem, no ability to even ask God for anything. And if you notice here, when they encounter Jesus, they don't ask for healing. Instead, they cry out, have pity on us. Your version might say, have mercy on us. And Jesus, in that instance, he does more than they even ask. They ask for mercy, and he actually heals them. Then what happens? Ten people are healed, and only one chooses to come back to say thanks. Which is the main point, I think, of why Luke recorded this story for us. I think it is the point, and it's the main point that I want to talk about today, that thankfulness is a choice. It's a choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. It's our choice. Every day, moment by moment, we choose whether to be thankful or not. The problem is that thankfulness doesn't come easy for us. In this consumeristic society, we tend to focus, and I think indeed the, the culture um, fans us into flame through marketing, we tend to focus on what we don't have, what someone else has that we don't. And so we're constantly thinking about what's missing in our lives rather than what we have. You know, I've already mentioned the Apostle Paul, but he... He wrote letters back to the churches that he founded in the first century church. And in one of those letters, the letter to the Ephesians, he writes this in chapter 5, verse 20. Always give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now just kind of let that verse and its message sink into you. Always give thanks for everything to God. You might think that that's impossible. But would the Apostle Paul command us something that we're not capable of doing, at least through the power of the Holy Spirit? And it'd be easy to say, well, that's easy, that's easy for him to say, right? But you know, the Apostle Paul didn't live a latida life. He didn't live a pie-in-the-sky life. He often had reasons not to be thankful. But here you have him saying to Christians, always give thanks for everything. You would think that Christians 
most of all, would be thankful. But here, here's the thing. That's not true. In fact, what is true is that you can believe in God without being thankful to God. You can believe in God, but not be thankful to God. See, having faith in God is not the same as being thankful to God. Many Christians suffer, suffer from low T. And I'm not talking about testosterone. Our T factor is low. We suffer from low thankfulness. See, I want you to notice that all 10 lepers had faith. In fact, I would contend that they had strong faith. They asked for pity, and Jesus answers to them, go show yourself to the priests, which is code for on your way, you will be healed. And Luke records that that happens. Their healing wasn't instantaneous. It happened as they moved toward the priest. And what the, the scenario there is that uh, if you had a disease like leprosy that quarantined you, before you could enter back into society, you had to go see the priest who would inspect you to see that this disease is indeed gone, and he would give you permission to re-enter society and get back to a normal life. And what Jesus is saying to these 10 lepers is, get going, go that way, and on the way, you will be healed. And by the time you get to the priests to be inspected, you will be fully healed of leprosy. So all 10 go. All 10 had faith. The only difference here is that one was grateful enough to return and thank Jesus. All ten received remarkable grace, unbelievable, miraculous grace in their lives, and only one returned. I've often, when I, when I read stories like this, I wonder, is that the percentage? Is it one out of ten? Gosh, I hope not. Now, before you and I start hating on the nine... And, you know, you know, like determining what was wrong with them. Um, how could they be such ingrates? I'd like to just ask, why, why is thankfulness missing in them? How could people who receive so much respond with so little? And I think they're just like us. In fact, maybe I should flip that around. We're like them. And so I want you to connect with me in these next few moments. I want to just talk about why perhaps the nine didn't return. And this is all in your notes, obviously. First of all, I think that it's possible that they were thankful, but poor at expressing it. They were thankful, but they were poor at expressing it. You know, every language in the world has a word for thanks, but it seems like those words for most of us, they're in a box of rarely used words, right? We've got to blow the dust off of these words to use them. But we're just not good at expressing thanks, even if we are thankful. In fact, I, I came upon a national study on just gratitude in general. And I'm gonna put, here's, here's some of the things that I learned. Bosses are near the bottom of the barrel of receiving thanks. All the bosses said, Amen. 
people are least likely to be thanked at work despite a high desire to be thanked there. I mean, most of you have jobs, and of course you want to be appreciated and thanked, but it doesn't happen very often, according to statistics. TSA workers are some of the lowest to receive thanks. I'll just keep my comments to myself on that. Less than half of us are likely to thank people who serve us every day. The people who are truly serving us, like our servers in restaurants, like salespeople, like when we stay at a hotel, our cleaning staff. People that are truly serving us, we, we just tend to overlook them. Women are far better than men at expressing thankfulness. So wives, you can just elbow your husband right now and say, just watch me, I'll teach you. And then married people are better at it than unmarried people. There's some things that, like, we're just not good at expressing thanks. In fact, I'll give you a factoid I won't put up there. Um, most Americans believe that we personally are increasing in our gratitude toward others, but nobody else is. That's impossible, by the way, but that's what we believe. You know, the Apostle Paul, in his letters back to the churches that he founded or was a part of, he often begins his letter by thanking God for them. He says the words, Ephesians 1.16, we've already looked at part of this letter, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Like when Paul writes to the people that were a part of his life and part of his faith journey and his community of faith, he says, I'm really thankful for you. How many of you have auto pay on some of your bills? You guys got auto pay? I love auto pay. No, don't even have to think about it. It's great. You know there's no auto thanks? You have to say it. I want to challenge you to do something. Between now and Thanksgiving, from the moment you wake up, the first thing out of your mouth, the first thought, thank God for something. And then as you go out throughout your day, look for opportunities, not only to express your thanks to God, but express it to one another. Look for opportunities to thank people. You know, I, uh, I started applying this today. I didn't want to jump on it too early. I wanted to be a part of this, otherwise I'd be way ahead of you guys in my thankfulness, and I just wanted to be able to stay at your level. And um, so I started doing it today. And you know what happened? I started thanking God for things that were just coming to mind, and I couldn't stop. And then I, and then I was thanking God for some of the people in my life and some of the things that recently happened. And you know, it just, it got distracting. I had to get to work. I had to figure out a sermon for today. <laughs> Try that. Because you have to express it. Another uh, reason I think the nine didn't return is maybe they were healed, but they were resentful. Maybe, though healed, they became resentful. Even though their physicality was healed, I think it's possible they never got over what had happened to them. Maybe they truly weren't thankful. Maybe they were bitter, even though they were healed. Maybe they remained lepers in their mind. 
can just picture them walking away, even though their, their body is changed, grinding away at, at regret of all the things that they'd missed out on, of, of the scars and maybe the marring that their physical bodies had, bitterness in their hearts toward the people that had let them down, that family and friends that rejected them because they had this horrific disease. That had to be in their minds. You know, we choose thankfulness. We choose to focus on the things that have happened to us that are bad, or we choose to, to focus on the things that God is doing in our life that are good, that is good. Paul, again, writes in, in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, this is a command by Paul. And you know what he's saying? Choose to think about the things that are lovely and beautiful, things that you can be thankful for. Because it's easy to focus on what's going wrong in your life, in your marriage, in your family, at your church, at your job, with your friends, with your team. And we just seem to be drawn to that. I mean, just think about the negative things that happened to you this week. You know what I found? It's much easier to recall the negative things that are going on in my life than the positive things. I don't know what that is. What happened to you this week or recently or this year that you're just holding on to? Even though God has given you the capacity to move on from it. Are you allowing those thoughts to capture your mind? What's wrong? You know, um, Friday, 20 of us headed down to Mexico uh, to the Door of Faith Orphanage. And uh, by the way, you can pray for everybody that's coming back today. Jed and I came back last night. <clears throat> and I, I, I mean, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. It's not just my story to tell, but it was so powerful to be there. Um, there are 80 kids that are orphans, and I just think about every kid that's an orphan, they have a drop-off day, right? Whether they're two or they're 11. They have a day where someone brings them there and walk, that loves them, family member, and walks away. They all have that day. And yet what, is, what God is doing in this beautiful place called Door of Faith is he's changing their frame of reference these kids are happy. It's a happy place. It's not a depressed place. It's colorful. And their lives are being changed. And I just, I had so many moments where I just got like a lump in my throat or choked up. It was, it was transformative for me. And um, on the way home, I had to cross the border. And that ties into the story because I got home after this amazing 24 hours that I got to spend down there. And Cindy stayed up, and um, I walked in the door. And do you know, like, the first thing I was telling her about? My three-hour wait at the border. Not all my awesome stories. I said, ugh, and I was already texting her. I just wanted to shoot myself so many times when I was there. It's easy for me to go negative after all the wonderful things that I experienced. You know, it's especially true when you compare yourself with others. It's very difficult to be thankful. 
because we'll, we'll always be comparing you know, in an upward way to the people who have it better than us. They, they have a nicer car. They have a nicer house. They have a better job. Their kids behave better. Their clothes are nicer. It's like we can just constantly think about the negative things. We become resentful. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Joseph. And uh, you can read his story at the end, uh, near the last third or so of Genesis. Uh, we did a series on him uh, called Not Your Average Joseph. And uh, you can check it out in our archives. But, um, you know, his story is that here is this, mer- uh, this remarkable young man who has a beautiful life, and his brothers sell him into slavery because they're jealous of him. And it starts off by they throw him in a pit and they await you know, someone to come by and they sell him. And th- when, when he's sold into slavery, it's just a domino effect of like horrific things that happen to him, imprisonment, uh, sexual, uh, accused of sexual uh, misconduct, uh, the threat of execution, and just all these things, all triggered by his brother's treachery because they were jealous. And so as the story goes, at the end of his, near the end of his life, he's actually the second in charge in Egypt. And he encounters his brothers. And when they all realize who's who, the brothers recognize that's the brother we sold into slavery. And when Joseph recognized these are his brothers that did so as well, the brothers are in a panic, obviously, because Joseph holds their life in his hands. And what comes out of this is, I call it the Genesis 50-20 principle. Because in Genesis 50-20, this is what Joseph said to him. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You see, there was something about Joseph that all the hard times made him better. It made him more compassionate. It made him sweeter. And I think it's because he was able to reframe those things that happened to him through the lens of the grace of God. You know, I can allow the bad things in my life to form a chip on my shoulder or a soft spot in my heart. It's my choice. Thankfulness is a choice. The last uh, reason I think that the nine possibly could not have returned is that they just felt entitled to being healed. They felt entitled to the healing. In verse 15, one of them, uh, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, I'm healed. And he fell down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. You know, Luke inserts that. And if you're not familiar with why, it's like for the people that were Jesus' main followers, his audience, they despised the Samaritans. They were less than. They, this ethnic divide was really important to them. And so Jesus kind of just, he's really throwing this whole thing in their face. He's not just the one that returns. He's He's a Samaritan. And what's inferred here is that he's getting at the entitlement of these people who were called the children of God. Because their attitude would be, of course I'm the one to be healed. I should be healed. We're the ones that called out to him. We're extra special because we did what we're supposed to do. The others didn't. We deserve this. And if we just play it fast forward to, to our day, who we are, it's like, can't we just 
kind of get to where we think we've earned everything that we have. We went to school, we got trained, I worked my butt off without out ever thinking about who gave you that butt. It's like, I've earned all this. I've earned, you know, like I'm a Christian because I'm an extra special person and I'm morally superior than others. In Deuteronomy 8, I call, I do call Deuteronomy 8 the, chat, the don't forget God chapter. Not that any of us would ever forget God, right? And in chapter 8, verse 17, it says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I've done it. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, where did your health come from? Where did your intelligence come from? Where did your drive and your ambition, where did you get those experiences? Where did the opportunities in life come from? They came from God. Where did, where did the fact that you became a Christian, that a light went on for you, that said, I, I need that. That came from God. I love some of the old movies with Jimmy Stewart. And one of my favorites is called Shenandoah. And in it, uh, Jimmy Stewart, it's like uh, Civil War period, and he's a widower, and he has a bunch of kids. And they all gather together for Thanksgiving, and they're about to eat their meal, and Jimmy Stewart as the dad, he offers the Thanksgiving prayer. I want to put it up on the screen. He needs to let you watch it. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> Now, I know none of us would ever pray that prayer, but wouldn't you think it? Don't, isn't it like part of our actual, like our actual life philosophy? Can I remind you of James' words in James 1.17 where he said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, the truth is, everything that we hold dear is from God. Everything that we hold dear is from God. It's all from God. You have a job, even if you don't like it. You have a business. Who gave you the ability to hold that job? You have a wife. You have a husband that loves you. Who did that come from? It came from God. You're going to leave this service and, and your kids are going to climb up on you and wrap their arms around your neck and make you carry their Sunday school materials. Who's going to, who gave you that child? God did. And you're going to walk out further and you're going to get in your car, some of you, most of you, a very nice car that has gas in it, by the way, and you're going to drive to lunch with yourself or with friends. And you're, who, give, who gave you the ability to do that? Did you see a sunrise this week or a sunset? Who did that come from? Did you laugh out loud this week? Where did that laughter come from? Did you listen to music this week and you were moved by it? In fact, you might have just been singing with it by yourself in the car. 
Where did that joy come from? You showed up this Sunday morning at a church where people know you, where they love you, where they care what's going on with you, where you're growing in your faith, in a community of faith. Who, who created that for you? God did. You take 23,000 breaths a day. Who gave you the ability to take that breath? Some of you are holding your breath right now because you're paying attention to it. But you just took another one. Each one is a gift. God gave it to you. Sometimes people will ask me, like, well, how do I know if it's time for me to step across the line of faith? What, what's the stuff I need to know? Like, I think that it's when you recognize that every day, every moment is a bended knee in gratitude to God. Christian, be reminded of that. If you're not a Christian, if you're not ready to bend your knee in gratitude to God for your breath, for everything that you have that you hold dear, for your eternal salvation, if you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to be a Christian. But if you do, those of us who have stepped across that line, I want to assure you, and I think this comes out of the story, that the thankful receive something extra. Those of us who are willing to express our thanks to God, we get something extra. I'm going to ask the band to come up because I'm, I'm wrapping up here. I want you to see that in verse 19, the leper received something because the one that returned, he received something because he was thankful. Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, that's not healing. Jesus is saying something more than just healing because everybody got healed, right? Jesus is bringing out something extra that this man who returned got. He was made whole. We just finished a series, a six-week series, where we talked about how the gospel makes us whole. We're in process, all of us. And when we return to Jesus, God does his work in our hearts. And he, he makes us whole. Maybe you don't get a restored body, but you get a restored soul. That's what this man got that the other nine didn't. How do I get it? Just like he did. We return to Jesus. Uh, we're going to take communion this morning as part of our wrap-up, and so there are tables around the table, or around the uh, room here. I'd ask for the elders and those that are serving communion to make their way there. And I want to, us to close our service by taking communion and then returning to our seats and singing in worship together. You see, if you're a Christian, here's what Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Communion is a time where we stop the busyness of our day and the busyness of church with everything, all the points we got to get through in our message, and we stop and we think about our thankfulness to God. We return, whoa, that's distracting. 
we return in bended knee to Jesus. The, the, the little piece of bread or wafer that we have represents Jesus' body broken for us. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for us. I just want us to wrap this service up by refocusing ourselves. Whether you're like, it's super easy for you to be thankful or whether you're really struggling, I just want you to think about the fact that if you bend your knee to Jesus in thanks for him making you whole, maybe your situation isn't going to change when you leave here, but you're going to change. That's the extra that you get. And returning to him in thanks not just in communion, obviously, but constantly, and reframing our lives through the grace of God. I'm going to pray. I ask that you just make your way to one of the tables closest to you, and then after you take communion uh, solo or with people around you, loved ones, um, just return to your seats, and we're going to we're going to close in worshiping together.